Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending May 13th, 2023. This week, Disney steals some plays from David Zaslav. Uh-oh. Have they not been listening? I'm Kim Hollis, happy to announce my 2023 football schedule via interpretive dance routine. <laughs> Do yourself a favor, look up the tweets from the Los Angeles Chargers and the Tennessee Titans. They are Yes. Amazing. Go Red Stallions. <laughs> and not the Cowboys. <laughs> With me are Tim Brighty, content creator, gamer, and better value than any New York Met. Hey, Uncle Steve, I'll do it for half of what you're paying these guys. And I fully expect you to still be here in 22 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and wanting to thank... Kim Hollis for being the best possible partner. Happy anniversary, love. Happy anniversary. Aww. I get the better part of this deal. <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who just can't bring himself to cheer against the Maple Leafs. Look, as a good Canadian, I know I have to hate Toronto, but as a good Canadian, I also know I shouldn't kick someone when they're down. It's like kicking a puppy. And we're all against that. In our deep dive this week, the writer's strike. Go. Oh, well, we're a week in and there's no sign of it ending anytime soon. The general consensus is that it'll be at least long enough for the studios to enact their force majeure clause, as we discussed last week. But in the case of Warner Brothers TV and Ava DuVernay, they're not waiting as the showrunner and studio have agreed to part ways this week. For others, and I'm looking at you, J.J. Abrams, you'll have to wait a few weeks before the studios terminate your high paying contracts. The whole thing just feels like an excuse to get out of previous bad decisions and not write checks that you probably shouldn't have planned to write in the first place. I cannot believe everybody's going to have to sit on their hands for three months. Just some, some really bad business can be settled after the fact. I mean, if I'm involved in these, I'm just going to them and saying, what if I just go ahead and mutually agree to get out of this contract with you so that we can move forward with negotiations? Because it's ridiculous to be just paralyzed like this. Meanwhile, things are looking pretty dire for traditional broadcasts and linear television. Cord cutting is accelerating. One report released this week indicates that pay TV subscriptions are down to their lowest levels since 1992. Shows on broadcast channels are being canceled every day. And after all the cancellations announced this week, I don't know that the CW even qualifies as a network anymore. And the fall TV schedule is pretty much a thing of the past. We've kind of been just paused for six months because we have known for a while now that ever since Nexstar took over CW, they've just said from the beginning, we don't want to pay for content anymore. We want to get the cheapest possible products to put on our stations. And here's my question. If you are a CW affiliate and they're telling you we're going to put absolute trash on here, why should you stay with them if you're an affiliate? Why aren't you shopping around or considering other options knowing that the CW is just imploding and it's a self-determination implosion at that? So this has been crazy. And then roll on top of that, this fall TV schedule that's being announced, I mean, it's just hopes and dreams and not reality, isn't it? 
<laughs> it's a little bit delusional. Yes, to just get back to one thing you said about the CW, Nexstar bought the CW because they actually own and operate most of the CW's affiliates. They needed the CW to continue to exist, if only so that they could have something on their local television channels. Another owner of CW affiliates is CBS. CBS actually owned a handful, I think six or seven local affiliates, and they have told the CW they're out. They are actually switching to independent on those six or seven stations. So yes, if you're not a Nexstar owned affiliate station, don't expect the CW to continue on that channel for much longer. And heck, even if it did, would you even notice? As for the fall TV schedule, have they heard there's a writer's strike that's going <laughs> to delay everything? The collapse of the fall TV schedule, and that is inevitably what's going to happen because at this point, nothing's in production. It means that these broadcast linear channels will not have shows in the fall. And this is only good news for the streamers. Streamers like Netflix, Amazon, and Apple know that when fall comes around and there's no programming on broadcast, viewers are going to flock to their streaming services. It's ironic that the very thing that has driven the writers to strike is what's likely to benefit the most from that strike. Yeah, we're hearing all of these horror stories right now about Netflix in particular from writers who just couldn't believe their offers. There there was an anecdote the other day where the money that they were offered for a Netflix program was so poor that after they paid their membership fees, their agent and everything, they would have lost money on the transaction. In other words, they would have been paying Netflix to work on the show instead of the other way around. This is tip of the iceberg stuff. And you are absolutely correct. Netflix stands to benefit from this. The crazy tinfoil hat speculation last week, I don't think that's as crazy as it seemed just seven days ago because of what we're witnessing with Paramount, which I don't want to get us to get sidetracked with that, but keep that in mind for a future discussion. For right now, when I watched the fall TV announcements, I was staggered by how delusional it all was. The only thing I could say positively, CBS at least said, we're going to push out Survivor and The Amazing Race to half hour each. So that means we've got two programs that will cover three hours that one night. They at least put some thought into one night of this. Everybody else is like, well, we're going to put this show on and this show on. No, you're not. They would have to film soon for you to actually show them in September. Nothing is starting until January unless you all get off your hands right now and start negotiating. The level of delusion we're witnessing just shows nobody really knows what's going to happen next. And they're all just looking around going, uh, what if we just act like nothing's different? Yeah, I don't know how much of it is delusion and how much of it is them pretending while knowing full well what the reality on the ground is. We are reminded that it costs money to produce content. And for the next quarter or two, studios are likely to see an improvement in their balance sheets as they stop spending money to produce content. But after that, a lack of new content to license to streamers or theaters or to sell to broadcast channels is going to start weighing on those studios and on that bottom line. So there's a very narrow window between when the studios want to start talking with the writers and when they have to start talking. Judd Apatow, the writer and director, gave a, gave a little interview earlier this week where he basically said out loud what we all knew already, that the studios know exactly when the strike is going to end. They don't want it to end right now because of the reasons we've stated, force majeure, the ends of contracts, the improved bottom line for a while, but they also want it to end within a certain window so that they can start creating content again and start licensing 
licensing it out again. It is very cynical of the studios to be behaving the way they are right now, but this is the way they behave in order for them to be profitable. Now, the question is, is this strategy of theirs really going to work, especially when half the studios are pitted against the other half? Those that own and produce the content and have broadcast channels are really being pitted against the streamers. As they together fight against the writers, they're also looking at each other on the same side of the table thinking, which one of them is going to pull a knife on me? But my main overriding thought here is this is all just a ploy to make sure that I never get my new episodes of Futurama that I was promised. That's all this is. There's so many things in production right now that have been suspended that we were all looking forward to. There's a ridiculous thing happening right now with Writers Guild East. They're chasing around (laughs) Daredevil production. There is currently an eight-month production ongoing of Daredevil Born Again, which is the transition of the Netflix show into the official Marvel Cinematic Universe on Disney Plus. It is going to be more episodes than they've ever done for a Marvel Disney Plus series. They're a quarter of the way into filming and the Writers Guild picket folks are just chasing them around from set to set to ensure they couldn't film anything. They had hopes and dreams at Daredevil that they would get a a good week's work in. They got nothing on film this week. Absolutely nothing because of the very polite, very good-natured, extreme harassment. That's where we're at. And it's with the writer strike in the background that Disney had their quarterly earnings call. David, can you give us the bullet points? Yes. Disney matched earnings projections. Disney matched diluted earnings per share projections. And Disney's stock fell off the table 8%. That is Wall Street in a nutshell right there. But Raul, there's a basis for it. And that basis for it is cricket, right? Yeah, David, Disney Plus lost a whole bunch of subscribers. How can they possibly be a successful streaming service when their subscriber numbers went down? I hate my life. I just want to say that right now. I hate my life. And people with blue checks on Twitter kept telling me it was because Disney went woke. But no, it was because of absolutely because of they lost cricket. And these are worldwide subscriptions, not just domestic subscriptions. Folks, we were joking about this the other day, but it's not a joke. It's something that really happened. If you go back and listen to our podcast from last June, we told you this was going to happen. And at the time, and I, I normally don't pick it, Raul, but I'm just going to do this playfully. Raul said they would fill the effects immediately. And I said, no, no, this is going to be a slow drip. Because what happened was Disney decided not to pay more than $3 billion for Indian Premier League cricket. They could have paid that much money, but everybody has changed the rules. So you're no longer supposed to care about subscribers. You're supposed to care about profit. So they seeded the subscribers at the time, but they didn't lose them immediately because of the odd nature of Hotstar, Disney sells a lot more annual subscriptions there, which means they were going to gradually erode subscriptions in India as the year advanced. And as it turned out, this past quarter was where it really hit. Because if you read any report about this, Disney lost 4 million subscribers. What no one mentions is they lost 4.8 million subscribers in India, which means if you take out cricket from the equation, which I would love to do, by the way, then Disney Plus actually gained 800,000 subscribers. But no, that's not the way we're going to report it. And so because of that, everybody is acting like Disney Plus is in a world of hurt. When in reality, their average revenue per user, their ARPU, went up 20% in North America, which is the market that matters the most to Disney. I'm just so tired of all of it, (laughs) folks. I really am. 
That's right. That really is the important number there. The ARPU went up. Uh, the average revenue went up, folks. And so it doesn't matter how many subscribers you have if each subscriber that you do retain pays you more. And for Disney Plus, that was great. And there's a second thing to this. Bob Chappick was fired from Disney because he reported losses of about $1.47 billion on streaming direct consumer content for that final quarter where he worked at Disney. That was six months ago. Iger has already reduced that to where Disney lost $659 million this past quarter. Don't get me wrong. That is still too much. If I'm looking at that on a balance sheet, I am alarmed. I don't want to undersell that. That's $2.5 billion over the course of the year. It's still way too much. But this was the strategy. It was supposed to be a loss leader until they got enough subscribers. And yet, even though a year ago we, we talked about how Wall Street was saying, no, 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 we don't want subscribers. We want to see profits. Disney is just done the thing they asked for. They have lowered subscriptions that weren't as profitable to reduce their losses, and they also increased their earnings, their revenue in that division. And yet their stock dropped $8 in about, I don't know, four hours. The whole thing just makes me want to break stuff. Wall Street just doesn't care about what they say. They just want good numbers. And if there aren't good numbers, it's somebody else's fault. I did listen through the earnings call and Bob Iger opened with a congratulations to their competitive friends over at Universal for the success of the Super Mario Brothers movie, which seemed unusual to me. I wonder why it would be that on a Disney earnings call, Bob Iger would be congratulating Universal on their success. But then within a couple of minutes, they were also telling us about how Hulu content was going to start showing up on Disney Plus. And I realized, oh, okay, so you hug him and then you stab him in the back. This is Disney basically undermining Hulu. This is the streaming service that Disney co-owns with Universal. Universal owns one third, but Disney has complete control of the streaming service. At some point in 2024, this will come to a head where either Disney has to sell Hulu to Universal or Universal has to sell their share to Disney. And Universal has been complaining all along that Disney is intentionally undermining the value of Hulu so that if they, Disney, had to buy Hulu from Universal, the value of the streaming service would be much lower than what Universal feels it should be. This is Disney doing that again. Now, you still have to be a Hulu subscriber to see Hulu content on Disney+, Plus, but making it so that Disney+, Plus basically becomes your one stop for all streaming, makes it so that people think less of Hulu and think more frequently of Disney+. Plus. Disney, I think, has charted their course. They have decided that they do not want Hulu in 2024, and they're going to sell it to Universal, whether Universal wants it or not. Okay, that's interesting. I took exactly the opposite takeaway from this scenario, which is I thought Iger tipped his hand very clearly. I actually was of the opinion Disney had previously tipped its hand when it went ahead and purchased 911. Fox canceled the show and Disney picked it up. And I was looking at that going, well, that's a very successful show on Hulu. That's interesting. Now Disney has said they are going to integrate Hulu on Disney Plus. And there's two reasons why I think that's important. One of them is you must have a Hulu subscription to use the Hulu content on Disney Plus. So you need Hulu and Disney Plus to use it. They wouldn't be doing that unless they were planning to permanently integrate the two solutions, which for an advertising perspective makes perfect sense. The second thing about it is Disney also went out of its way to say we're going to reduce content in some ways. And the most telling one is they're not going to 
to make content specifically for international markets unless it's cost justifiable. They will not do loss leaders moving forward, which means there's going to look like there is a shortage of new content on Disney+. Plus. You can hide that if you have Hulu with all of its television series reruns. This is probably the strongest sign to date that Disney is pot committed to keeping Hulu inside its brand. First thing we need to know about 911 is that it's produced by 20th Century Television, which means it is produced by Disney. It belongs to Disney. Fox, the television network, made a determination that 911 was too expensive of a show for them to continue to air. It was a very mature show, and the older a show gets, the more expensive it gets because the writing and actors and staff get raises every year. And so they said, nah, never mind. But Disney, realizing that 911 remains a very strong ratings getter. In fact, it is the number one show in its demographic. Decided that no, we are going to continue producing this show and we're going to put it on ABC. So, yes, you will be able to catch reruns of the show 911, which is produced by Disney's 20th Century Television. And because now the Hulu content is merged into Disney Plus, you will be able to watch that show on Disney Plus. I think that more and more people looking for the content that used to be on Hulu are simply going to go looking for it on Disney+. Plus. Eventually, you will simply pay that higher rate and get everything on Disney+, Plus, and Hulu will be out of mind for most subscribers. They are sacrificing the brand in the same way that they decided to not launch Hulu internationally, and instead they launched a different brand that they called Star. They are sacrificing the Hulu brand because they feel it is not really their brand, and next year they're going to get rid of it entirely. And this is a good example of how two people can look at exactly the same pieces of information and come to just diametrically opposed opinions. I think Disney has made it that much harder to sell off Hulu because they are now going to have it completely integrated into the Disney Plus app and they're going to have all of the Disney Plus and Hulu advertising tied together. And if you're going to do that and then you're going to get rid of Hulu later, I don't understand how that works. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible because it's not because Iger did go out of his way in answering one question. An analyst basically asked what I took from it. And he said, Bob, it sounds like you've made up your mind that you're going to keep Hulu. And Iger's response is, no, I haven't made up my mind. We're still talking with Comcast. We've had cordial conversations with them. But once you integrate Hulu into the thing, it is very, very challenging to separate. And on top of that, they just laid off all of the BAMTech people who could have separated it. So they're going to have to bring in new people who aren't as familiar with the architecture of the system if they do want to pull it out. So I think think Iger just basically announced they're keeping Hulu, but it's just a guess. And the other thing that's just going to depress us, I mean, it is infuriating to hear, is Iger did confirm Disney is going to pull content from Disney+. Plus. They didn't mention other services. I'll be curious to see if it actually expands to Hulu and they just assume that or whether or not it is specific to Disney+. Plus. But we were talking about an impending write-down of $1.5 to $1.8 billion, wherein they're going to pull that much content off of their streaming service. Yes, Bob Iger is following the playbook of David Zaslav. Why? From my cold, dead hands. (laughs) (laughs) I guess at least they, I mean, it's not good that they're doing this, but did I see that there's basically going to be this 
the least watched stuff rather than like probably the Zazzle tactic was where can we save the most money? Yes, it's probably going to take the ideas as Zaslav had and expand on it. Like, for instance, this is just blind speculation, but Artemis Fowl was a straight to Disney movie. It wasn't planned to be, but when the pandemic came, they adjusted. That strikes me as something that if it's legal to write down, they should. And then there are other things that it's physically going to hurt me, but like a John Stamos show with a large cast like Big Shot seems like something they could probably write down. And again, these are just two things I'm just randomly picking a movie and a TV show, but it probably is that kind of content. If they come after Gravity Falls, Bob Iger will wake up with the severed head of a wooden puppet in his bed. (laughs) In our rapid fire this week, a bankruptcy judge has blocked the deal the NBA's Phoenix Suns were planning that would have brought their games to broadcast TV. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago as the Bally Sports Regional Sports Network had sued to block the deal. The RSN is in bankruptcy and can't pay the professional sports teams to carry their games. This is just a temporary hurdle. No amount of litigation is going to save the RSNs. Eventually, deals like what the Phoenix Suns are planning will become the new normal as the RSNs close up shop. Yeah, and in reading the details of this, basically the judge didn't like Phoenix. I mean, we can make this complicated if we want, but the judge felt like both Phoenix officials and its attorneys misrepresented what was happening every step of the way, and he didn't like that, so he slapped them down on it, even though this is not going to be what holds long-term, none of us believe. Okay, Tim, before we talk about the ratings, we definitely had some box office news last weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 came in with the weekend of $118 million, so slightly above what we were thinking, 110 115 which is fine. Again, can't knock $100 million plus weekend, but there is the just that feeling of something's not right that's just weird with marvel i think it, because that, that is down from what you know volume two did you know but that was six years ago even though this one has seemed to be pretty well received yeah i'm actually taking the positive from this and that when we were talking about this last weekend we were saying 110 and we were also kind of secretly wondering 108 mm-hmm. every step of the way this has performed a little bit better which does kind of at least to me hint that the word of mouth is carrying it we're recording this on friday night so so we don't know what its second weekend hold is, which is, you know, the ball game at this point. Right. That's if it does a quantum mania, that's where we'll be really terrified. But if, if it's only, you know, 50, 55 percent decline, then yeah, then that's good. And it's going to dominate the majority of, of, of the month, I believe, because it's certainly not going to be book club. The next chapter, <laughs> which I could not believe they actually made a sequel to that. <laughs> I think I literally found out about it today. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this is a thing. <laughs> yeah, the new releases this weekend, you pretty much have to be involved with the industry to know anything about any of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still going to be dominated by Guardians of the Galaxy, Super Mario Brothers movie, which is now well over 500 million, is, is a distant second at this point. And it's it's just a lot of lot of holdovers and leftovers and stuff. It's top heavy, but they're big numbers, and that's a good thing for the box office. You're saying that the Blackberry Rim movie isn't going to dominate this no, weekend, Tim? No, I forgot that existed too until you reminded me of it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we'll have we'll have a lot more to say on on guardians of the galaxy next weekend sounds silly to say after we see an opening weekend but a lot does ride on the hold because those have generally not been fantastic for for the majority of movies you know there are a couple outliers but we have seen movies open huge and then just 
fall apart really fast and already happened to a Marvel movie this year. If it happens again, then it's time to, to be worried. But if it, if it doesn't, then then hopefully the MCU is in, in good shape. Okay, let's go ahead and move on into the ratings. Sure, we're looking at the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, April 10th through Sunday, April 16th, 2023. And your most watched thing of the week, leading the originals chart and the overall chart is Beef. 10 episodes, about 1.6 billion minutes for the first full week of its availability. That's really surprising to me. I thought it was going to be much more of a fringe show. The content, I would say, is not broadly appealing, but people seem to have... uh... It's dark. I thought there was going to be like a comedic edge to it. Like they start out like, you know, hating each other. And then by the end, you know, they, they, they fall in love. No, no, this is a, this is a grudge. Yeah. A24 content doesn't usually end on a (laughs) feel good note. You, You don't, you don't say. Yeah. I do think that all 824 products could come with the warning of here are our previous films, just so you know the deal. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There's more interesting things uh, later on in this list than than at the top, but it it is a very strong number for beef. Yeah. Not something that I would have would have predicted, especially when we talked about it on what's new. Uh, Second is the night agent, uh, another 1.1 billion minutes, 10 episodes. Third, here's Love is Blind, 56 episodes, a bit over 1 billion minutes. Now, the 16th is when the ill-fated live show happened. I'm curious how much of this is is affected because right, they were going to broadcast the finale of the, the fourth season live on Sunday night on the 16th, and it didn't go too well to the point where after about an hour of waiting, they basically just said, well, okay, we're going to record it and put it up later when, when when we can. And I assume it was available either later that night or the next day. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen with these with these ratings next week that full week how much of it really counted for that sunday yeah i do wonder if maybe all of this was simply a marketing opportunity and <laughs> I, I i'm not saying they intentionally sabotaged their live stream but there was a lot more people talking about love is blind after the failure of the live stream yeah i'm, I'm curious as to the the whole next week as as people really anticipated that that live finale and then were horribly disappointed that sunday night but maybe they watched it later in the week and that would be reflected on next week's ratings because they run monday to sunday Right. And fourth is The Mandalorian. Uh, 23 episodes, just tad over a billion minutes. There is one more episode to go with this third season that would come on the 19th. We'll, we'll probably see the, the streaming bump as people finish out the season and then it just falls hard, as which tends to happen to the Disney Plus shows. Did you make it out till the end? Well, you, you felt like you had a duty to finish it even though you exactly. weren't Exactly. Right? Okay. I stuck it out. Okay. <laughs> We do have something new in fifth, however, Florida Man, seven episodes, 649 million minutes for this series premiering on the 13th. That looked pretty good. We were, we seemed like, oh, yep. this, this seems like might, might be a thing when we saw that that trailer, especially on what's new that week. Yeah, it looks like it could be fun. I haven't watched, but still looks fun. Yeah, um, might get a little bit of a bump next week with this, with its full week. Uh, something else new in six. We knew this was going to be here, unfortunately. American Manhunt, the Boston bombing marathon, 619 million minutes for three episodes about, well, the Boston Marathon bombing that has you know been reflected in fictional movies and other documentaries. But, you know, people can't get enough of this stuff. And Netflix makes documentaries of it. And people, of course, watch it. 
uh, Ted Lasso in seven, 614 million minutes, 27 total episodes. I mentioned last week, I started watching the third season. I haven't gotten two more episodes yet, but one thing that I had seen mentioned and then went and checked is part of the reason it's here because these episodes are long. Yes. Yes, they are. And it's but, killing the rhythm of the show. Yes, it is. the. Like, I, I went back and double checked. Like the first season, every episode is like 30 to 35 minutes. One episode this season, it's not even like you think, okay, the finale, sure, that, that I would allow, which we haven't gotten to yet. That's the end of May. But there's one episode in the season that's like an hour. I'm like, okay, no wonder it's it feels like it's dragging. They they just wanted to throw everything that they had in, in this final season, I guess. And I think it I think it, it is having a negative effect. Yeah, that's something uh look, we have friends who work at Apple. We don't want to get into a huge thing here, but uh I suspect Apple felt it would have been better if there were longer episodes so that people would watch Apple TV Plus that much longer. And I I don't want to mention names here, but (laughs) there is a since-canceled director who created a superhero film, and it was a disastrous project. I mean, absolutely disastrous. And they had intended to write a two-hour and 50-minute opus, shot like four hours of footage for it, and then the final cut was 90 minutes, including the credits. And I have always kind of admired that because by stripping out everything that was terrible about it, they turned it into what most considered a watchable product. I still thought it was hot garbage, but most people liked the film. It takes a lot of self-restraint to be able to say, you know what, this isn't working. We need to take this out. And there's two different storylines this season in Ted Lasso that we all would have felt a lot better if they just weren't there. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. We do have some new things in, in eighth transatlantic seven episodes, 327 million minutes. Uh, this is a limited series that is. Yeah. The uh, couple of Americans and some other people who yes, save, uh, <laughs> who save some uh, refugees in Europe at the start of world war two. I recognize Jillian Jacobs and that's it. Uh, something else new, and we did peg this one as probably something that we would see. Obsession, 287 million minutes for just four episodes. Yeah, this is the one I don't remember discussing, and I think it must be noted that the reviews I'm seeing on Rotten Tomatoes are actively hostile. People (laughs) hated this show. I do remember that we talked about it because it is basically a miniseries adaptation of a previous movie starring Jeremy Irons. Oh, that. Yes. Right. This is damages by a different name. Yeah. So I'm actually surprised. One, I was like, oh, wait, it's only it was only four episodes. But yeah, it was just uh, dropped on the 13th and all four and and, and done. But um, drew enough interest to make it on the originals chart this week. And I'm surprised, actually, I. Yeah, the information I have, I'm just actually just pulling up the, the Wikipedia. It doesn't have any specifics other than it was yes met with negative reviews from TV critics and audiences, but nothing, nothing specific. So apparently it's not good, but maybe we'll see it next week with the full week. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm surprised it's here with just with so limited number of episodes. Yeah, I've got it pulled up on IMDb where it has a rating of 5.1 out of 10. And let me clear those numbers are always highest the first month something is out they inevitably <laughs> go down from there so this could be like in the threes before it's all said done we wrap up with originals with a returning show maybe for one last time or maybe not here is star trek picard uh 29 episodes 276 million minutes also one more episode to go in these ratings which came on april april 20th and also 
you know, generated enough interest that uh, we mentioned showed up on what IMAX theaters. That's right. They put the last two episodes together in IMAX. Okay, so this this is probably a little bit of a, a, a bump for it as the season ends and and people checked it out. I'm gonna bet we'll see it next week with maybe a slightly higher number with that as it is the reported final episode in in the series and it's a goodbye to you know the next generation cast. Uh, but yeah, it's good to see a you know Paramount Plus show on uh, on the original chart here. Nah, screw that. I want the movies chart. My body is ready for the movies chart. Okay. Give me what I need, Tim. Right, movies this week uh, is led by The Last Kingdom, Seven Kings Must Die. 451 million minutes. Yeah, the sequel movie to the Last Kingdom series that Netflix aired. Right. Okay. I was like, wait, this was a sequel. I said it was a, a sequel, but it was to, a, to a show, not a previous movie. But okay, I remember the Last Kingdom now. Yeah, we've seen that before. So yeah, that that, that that's interesting. It's not a terrific number. It's but it's it's down from what's led movies in the last few weeks. At least it's not you know dragged on concrete or whatever it is. But yeah, it's here. Uh, right behind it, a movie we saw last week, Chupa, 450 million minutes, so very close. And in third, um, The Last Stand, 438 million minutes, credited to Netflix and Hulu, which Hulu is probably where it was previously, but uh, it showed up on Netflix for some reason on April 16th. Hey, don't ever underestimate the star power of Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> That's right. He is in this. What? Yeah. Also stars Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, oh yeah, that guy too. Yeah, I guess that I guess that that's why people saw it or felt like watching it. But sure, why not? All right. That Guilford of Friday Night Lights. That's why people watched. Okay, <laughs> all right. Or people are totally hyped for the upcoming Arnold Schwarzenegger Netflix show that won't premiere on this for a month later. But who knows? None of this matters. Give me number four. All right, in four from Peacock, Cocaine Bear, three hundred twenty-four million minutes viewed. Yeah. <laughs> Cocaine Bear. Cocaine. <laughs> There was champagne popping at Peacock headquarters this week. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. We were excited that it's that it's here. And I can't wait for what, four months from now? When right, the, exactly. The, the number one movie on Netflix. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That is going to happen. You can oh, write yeah. it down in pen, not pencil, you know, if people still wrote <laughs> things down. This is going to absolutely dominate when it's on a streaming service people watch. I mean, this is incredible for Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> yep, as part of that whole deal Universal has made with the streamers, yep, their movies show up on, on Peacock after their theatrical run for some reason four months, then go somewhere else, usually Netflix, sometimes elsewhere. Stay tuned for that. And then after like X number more months on Netflix, go back to to Peacock, but yeah, hold hold that thought for a few months because till till we see this show up out of nowhere as the top movie on Netflix. Right. And now that you just mentioned it, a different thing, I'm wondering how did Johnny Knoxville not be involved with the Cocaine Bear product? <laughs> I mean, seriously, he was too busy filming a new Jackass. If they made it like five years ago or ten years ago, he definitely would have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else new in fifth. This one credited to Prime Video. Ticket to Paradise, 281 million minutes. This is a was a theatrical release from from last year. The the rom com with George Clooney and Julia. Roberts. Oh, yeah. Right. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot about it, too. And I was like, oh, right. It was that. Yeah. Guess what? This just left Peacock <laughs> to come to Prime Video. And we did not see it when it was on Peacock. But it moved services to something people, you know, watch more often than, than Peacock. And here it is. Oh, that's what happened. Yeah. Because I remember watching this movie. I just assume yeah, I must have watched it on Prime. But no, I guess I watched it on Peacock weeks ago. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like this is just an anti-Peacock spite podcast, you know? <laughs> 
Oh boy. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, it's these universal movies. This is the thing, but yeah, it's funny that we have yep one showing up on Peacock. That's going to blow everything away on Netflix in a few months. And one that just left Peacock and appears on the list for the first time. Okay. Then some stuff we've seen before. Six is Matilda, 270 million minutes back to Netflix. Disney plus is Moana. The only movie they have on the list this week, 251 million minutes. Netflix is murder mystery Two, 246 million minutes in eighth. Dr. Seuss is the Lorax is ninth, 225 million minutes. Uh, I guess after last week, after everyone watched all those animated kids movies because it was Easter, they finally got to the end of everything else that they watched because this came back to Netflix on April 1st. And now we're just seeing it here for the first time. So I guess it was at the bottom of the list of all the stuff that came back. Earth Day pre-gaming, maybe? Sure. Why not? And we wrap up movies with something else new in 10th Hunger from Netflix, 210 million minutes. On the one hand, I wonder if this is people looking for the Hunger Games. (laughs) No, those already came back to Netflix. (laughs) On the other hand, this was, I'd say, a very well-made Thai movie about a toxic kitchen and a very demanding chef that I think deserves some respect. And the fact that we have on this list a foreign language movie is significant. Yeah, we we did mention it on What's New for, for that week. The description I have is Thai drama about a young street food cook pushed to her limit after being taken under the wing of a famous and ruthless chef. So yeah, it was not a the, the best week for numbers in movies. 210 was 10th and 451 was the number one movie. But I think that's probably to be expected for a little bit. But yeah, good to, good to see it here. Acquired is 10 shows we have seen before. Once again, led by Coco Melon, 830 million minutes. Feud for 22 total episodes. Uh, most of the usual suspects are here. NCIS, Bluey, South Park, Grey's Anatomy, Succession, Supernatural, Big Bang Theory, Shameless, and Heartland in 10. It was a interesting week. I'm surprised by the strength of beef. Uh, we did have some new shows. I'm curious to see what happens actually with uh, Love is Blind, if the live stream failure has any impact on those numbers, if we see Picard get a bump with the finale, if we see The Mandalorian get a bump with the finale, and, and what happens with Cocaine Bear. Thank you, Tim, for covering those ratings. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Netflix has canceled the supernatural adventure Lockwood and Company after just one season. And it was so ballsy of them that when I loaded Netflix earlier, they were saying, hey, watch Lockwood and Company. I'm like, no, I think I won't. (laughs) (laughs) It felt like it had so much potential it never really rocked the uh, charts and so netflix at this point run by robots it didn't it didn't hit the numbers and so it gets cut and the please don't destroy feature film premiere from saturday night live writers ben marshall john higgins and martin herlihy will happen on peacock instead of in theaters this really feels like an about face for streamers that have been moving many of their made for streaming movies to theaters lately but it's pretty much par for the course for the please don't destroy guys who present themselves as a trio of sad sacks on snl who just can't catch a break imagine making a movie for theaters and the studio saying you know what this looks like it should be on streaming (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I can't name any of their sketches it's not like they've had anything truly go viral the more popular bits from the last couple of years of saturday night live either are either sketches or things they they didn't do so they they just kind of feel like great value lonely island to me but yeah this this probably has to be pretty uh, demoralizing for them if they thought they were actually going to get a film in theaters as always we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week and i was traveling for much of the week and very busy as a result but i did on the airplane watch three episodes of ghosts the american version 
and it's very charming and I enjoy the cast a great deal. I will probably continue watching it. Seems like it's a show that you can watch quickly and easily. And it's just one of those nice diversion shows where if you just need something fun and silly to watch, it's there. Raul, how about you? Well, I promised David that I'd only fight with him once this week, but that's that's a lie. Because I have On started- guard! <laughs> I have started watching the latest season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime Video, and I am not exactly enjoying it. The uh, first episode of the season was particularly off-putting for most of the duration, except for one moment near the end. Really, the characters who previously seemed quirky are now just plain annoying, and creator Amy Sherman-Palladino and her team appear to have spent the bulk of this season trying to erase plot points from last season. Just a whole bunch of never-mind-that business. After that first episode, it's taken some time to rebuild the goodwill and find the narrative. There's an element at the beginning of every episode this season that's got me scratching my head. I don't necessarily hate it, but it's somewhat confusing. I'm not going to be specific about it because I don't want to spoil this season for anyone. But I'm glad to see that at least one subplot is finally bearing fruit. That is Susie's involvement with a couple of mob thugs. That's finally materializing there. I'm up to episode five, and I feel that the show's found its footing. It's at about 80% of the quality, I I feel, of past seasons. But given that this is the last season, I'm hoping for a spectacular drive to the finish. Urge to kill rising? Rising? (laughs) Let's hope it gets better. It is better. Tim, how about you? So despite David's protests, I actually have to talk about WWE's Backlash premium live event from last weekend for a moment because it absolutely shows the power of a live crowd that's actually eager to watch this product can have. Uh, You don't need to watch the whole thing, although it was actually a pretty good show. You only need to watch one match, and that is the match featuring Bad Bunny versus Damian Priest. That's crazy, Tim. This guy's got the same name as this Puerto Rican singer. (laughs) Yes. Turns out it's the same guy. Oh, my God. Yes. Someone said the equivalent. It's like, imagine 1993, Michael Jackson having a match with Hulk Hogan. That's what this is. That's that's what this is. Not, not that Damien Priest is Hulk Hogan, but that's kind of the fame equivalent for this guy. He's he's more famous in the rest of the world than America, but he's, he's somewhat big here, but that is basically the equivalent. Oh, him of the yes. Puerto Rican bunnies. Yeah. I got it. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Basically, one of the most famous people in the entire world. Her dad is a big WWE fan. He's been involved with them, you know, uh, on and off for, for a few ve- events, but they teased this at WrestleMania and and led to an event that was actually taking place in Puerto Rico, uh, where he's from. And when he made his entrance, the roof blew off that building. It has been a long time since I've seen a crowd go crazy for an entrance like that. I mean, they were on kind of on fire the, the whole night, but that that crowd made it made it work. And this guy, despite being a, a musician, put in the work and was able to have just a really, really fun, fun match. Obviously, there were some wrestling shenanigans, but they brought back some people we hadn't seen in, in years who don't even work for WWE anymore in terms of guys like Carlito and Savio Vega, who were also Puerto Rican. And it was was absolutely really fun amazing match and the crowd is what made it because they just ate this whole thing up it's what makes AEW work too because the crowd is engaged because they know it's going to be good so they they care they're they're involved and when AEW has that Wembley Stadium event in a few months which we are probably going to have to talk about here because in all likelihood it's going to air on max and not on pay-per-view yeah they're, they're going to basically sell out 
Wembley Stadium in London. And that crowd is just going to go absolutely insane for the, the whole thing. And it's, and it's just going to elevate the whole show to the next level. That's why I like wrestling. That's why I watch wrestling is for exactly things like that match. I've been down on WWE because you know who came back, but that was absolutely uh, worth it to watch this past weekend. Okay, David, what's been keeping you busy? So Kim was gone, and whenever Kim's gone for a few days, I always have this grand ambition that I'll watch 17 things and write three books, and then the reality sets in, and it's quite a bit different. I only had time this week to watch one new thing, and just to show you where my head was at, I watched the first couple of episodes of this season of Hard Knocks, and let me emphasize, I mean the 2022 season Hard Knocks, so I'm a little bit behind, but it seems like the Detroit Lions have a really nice nice young core and I know how bad they've been historically and I know they just picked second in the draft that year but I feel like that team could maybe be a 500 team if things break right and then by the following year they might be good enough where they could actually be on opening night for the NFL is that too crazy Yeah, your silence speaks volumes. It's a little crazy. But hey, let me just say Detroit Lions have the coolest head coach on the planet because the dude actually drops down and does the insane calisthenics with the players. And they're all looking around like, we cannot let coach beat us. We cannot let coach beat us. What they don't know is there is something called an RAS score, which defines athleticism. And their head coach had the highest score of any tight end in the history of the combine. So when you're fighting against Dan Campbell in any athletic event, you're probably going to lose. Hard Knocks is sometimes really, really terrible, but this has been a really good season so far. And I liked what I saw of the Lions last year as a developing team. So I think you are actually onto something. Stay tuned to opening night 2023, where they will get destroyed by Pat Mahomes. (laughs) There you go. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 